Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Osiris. Right. Happy Wednesday. Happy June. Happy midpoint of fishes spring. 
or is it like one of their summer tour? We're still debating the semantics of all of that, as well as the performances of songs, as well as returns into songs, as well as second and third, second and fourth quarters of shows. There's so much to be debated at this point. We have so much content. We just have to get through it all. This is, of course, the Helping Friendly Podcast. My name is Brian. I'm here with the founder, OG host, the listener of obscure classic rock radio countdowns, the man who tells everyone to grow up if they're going to select the wrong songs in the right places in a classic rock countdown, Mr. RJB. How are you doing here today? <laughs> Good. Thanks for the thanks for the intro. That was, that was something. <laughs> what was the biggest affront in the Memorial Day weekend classic rock countdown you were listening to from Tampa, oh, Florida? Okay. Well, first of all, there were, I think, like six ACDC songs in the top 50 or something, which is just like, it's just, it's just not, just not how it goes, um, in my opinion. Um, I would say the biggest thing, though, honestly, because I've thought about this a lot. There were two, the, the top two Rolling Stone songs in the entire countdown were numbers 66 and 65. So there's no Rolling Stones wrong. above 65. I mean, what kind of, what kind of bullshit is this? There's also like, there was very little Tom Petty. Tom Petty makes possibly the best, most fluid rock songs of all time. And he's from Florida. Tom Petty makes rock music that literally could bring the country back together. Which yeah. maybe is not the point of classic rock in the year 2022. I don't know. I was looking through the countdown as you were as you were posting it and I was thinking to myself the best case scenario for this countdown is being day drunk at a dive bar playing pool and eating like cajun tater tots, which is, you know, that's a mood and I'm into that mood from time to time, but that's not necessarily like the only way I see classic rock. And I'm wondering if that's where your advice to the radio station of grow up came from. Yeah. I mean, I just, I think it was listener. I think it was a listener thing and, mm. you know, having night moves by Bob Seger, which is to me, you know, would be a top 10 song of all time at number 336 or something. I'm like, I, I can't, can't trust these people anymore. Do that's, you think it's because they haven't seen our performance of Night Moves? <laughs> Possibly. Maybe we need to post that. I'm just getting my letter together for the for this Tampa <laughs> Tampa radio station and just, you know, so I'm I'm kind of still putting it together. Well, if you need any help, I have thoughts, I have opinions. I'm a little worked up, you know? Yeah, no, I, was, me too, I, I had no skin in the game. I didn't listen to a single second of it, but I was sitting there being like, this is just wrong. Well, now you know, man. I wanted to share that with everybody. Well, we actually created an incredible segue here into the main content of the show. And um, I apologize to our guest if he does not want me sharing this public, but I'm going to have to share it here public. Uh, our guest today is Mr. Matt Higgins, whose .NET handle happens to be Night Moves, which just works perfectly. We've got a vibe here. We're going to be covering... We're going to be covering... Um, 
last night's fish show from Charleston, South Carolina, which is just a couple hundred miles north of Tampa, Florida, where the atrocity went down, which was the Memorial Day Classic Rock Countdown. We're going to bring Matt on here shortly. We're going to talk through last night's show. We're going to talk through set opening jams. We're going to talk through encore jams. We're going to talk through is the band about to do another no repeat tour. There's so much up in the air. We're going to, we're going to debate aggressively, I think, because RJ, you look ready to aggressively debate this issue. Should the band return to their songs or not? And we want to have a clear answer coming out of this because we're going to send a message to the band following tonight or today's show to make sure that they do what we all request. Is that correct? I think it is. I'm ready. I'm ready too. So we're going to dive into today's show here in one second. Charleston, South Carolina's 531-2022 recap. Before we do that, though, RJ, I think we have some friends of the pod to thank for supporting us. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone who listens and watches knows about Sunset Lake. But Sunset Lake, they develop a ton of CBD products, including smokable hemp products, um, salves, gummies, all, all sorts of things. We know. We know, and I hope you know, that smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without some of the side effects that happen to some of us. Um, they have nine different strains from this year's harvest, so there's something for everyone. There's there's a, there's Hawaiian Haze, there's Cherry Abacate, there's a bunch. And I'm not going to go through them all because you guys should just go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off. They are uh, doing some amazing stuff, and all of their flour is grown, cured, and trimmed by their farmers. And uh, anyway, they're great and we appreciate them supporting us. So you can support us by supporting them. Go to sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off. Absolutely. And they're all about to see, I think, a lot of their first goose shows up in uh, Essex, Vermont. Um, There's another podcast on Osiris Media, The Great Beyond, that is doing weekly recaps of goose tour and a lot of goose content, even though they're not a goose podcast, as they say. They are still covering the band Goose. And uh, so if you see anyone from Sunset Lake um, up at uh, the Essex show this weekend, go and give them a high five. They're amazing people and definitely check them out. Um, I want to post this comment really quickly because it's just none of our listeners will be able to hear this, but our viewers will be able to see this, which is great. Uh, Mr. Timothy Wheaton, the excellent host of the Daddy Unscripted podcast, says that RJ's setup is reminding me of the awesome scene from Time Bandits where the wall moves back and falls into blackness. I think that your your setup is one of the best podcasting setups I've ever seen. You've got all your J cards behind you. You've got the great lights. But yeah, I could see that back wall just falling into oblivion. Uh, I don't know. It's it's great. All right. All right. All right. Thank you, Tim. Um, Thank you, Tim. I think it's time on that note that we bring on our guest, Mr. Matt Higgins, otherwise known as Night Moves. Matt, welcome to the pod. How are you doing today? Hey, Brian. Hey, RJ. Thanks for having me. Doing great. Awesome. Awesome. You are in Charleston, South Carolina. How's it going down there? What's the weather like? What's the scene like? Oh, it's been great. I uh, Yeah, we flew in on Sunday night and... I'm um, coming from Los Angeles, so the humidity was a bit of a shockwave to the system, but oh, it's been great. Been getting uh, oysters, good barbecue, you know, been doing all the, the usual Charleston, uh, checking off all the boxes. 
Awesome. Is this your first time going there since the last time Fish played? I know you mentioned before we went live that you try to get there whenever Fish does a run. Yeah, so we, a few of us, were at the Charleston run in 16 and then again in 19. And we're back again. It's a good destination city to go and yeah. see some fish. It's it's one of those destinations when you see the band uh, announce that they're gonna make a stop. You try to you try to prioritize that if possible. Awesome, yeah, I love it there. Um, well, tell us really quick before we jump into the show. Um, how'd you get into fish? What was your first show? And uh, have, do you have any favorite shows you've seen? Oh yeah, oh yeah. So. It's it's funny, Brian. I hear you kind of coin yourself a lot as the 2.0 noob because not, you know, not only well, not only am I a 3.0 noob, but I'm a I'm a back half of the 3.0 noob. So uh, yeah, it wasn't until college that fish kind of really came on my radar. I remember it was after the Hampton Run in 2013 when mm-hmm. I had. A, a bunch of buddies go and I had known fish. I'd listened to the grateful dead for been a big deadhead. And, uh, you know, had a couple of friends try to get me into fish senior year of high school, freshman year of college. And, you know, I was of the, of the mindset of, Oh, you know, you mean the band that jumps on trampolines, you know? <laughs> so, uh, and that's just, that was, I don't know. That was just my attitude. And then when, uh, and you know, that attitude, having been without listening to five minutes of the, uh, the band, of course, but had yeah. a bunch of buddies come back from that Hampton 13 run and could not stop talking about it and really just threw it, threw it in my face, shoved it down my throat, all that content, constant live fish videos. And finally I was like, you know what, we'll, we'll give them a chance. But uh, I actually didn't get to see my first show until lock in 2016. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, those were fun shows, and it was Lock in 2016, Charleston 16, and then it was really that MSG New Year's Eve run that uh, I was sold. Right on. That's a that's nice. a good run. That 12:30 show is one of my favorites of all time. Yeah, it still gets it still gets played quite a bit. It's funny. There's uh, one of our good friends, Rob Mitchum, often writes about the reason why fish never appealed. You know, obviously, they have a huge appeal playing MSG constantly, playing large arenas. But like the like cultural cachet is the humor that comes with it, and the trampolines comment like that's that that can keep people away. I totally get it. It's like I, I want to go see a rock show. What in the world is happening here? So I get that. It's a hurdle. Yeah the the fun dichotomy between uh you know, listening to a nice morning dew and then switching <laughs> the visuals to the trampolines. It's <laughs> could be a shock to some systems. Absolutely. Not everybody can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tell us, uh, so, so we're at the credit one stadium, which is a new yeah. venue for fish. This is a tennis stadium down in Charleston. What have your thoughts been on the on the arena after one night? What was it like getting in? What were the sight lines like? All that. Yeah, it's a hit. First off, it is. It's kind of a trip being in there. Uh, you know, like you said, the fact that you know if you're on the floors, you're standing on a tennis court, and it's not you know an expanded tennis court with a lot of room on either side or on the back of the tennis court. You know, there's not 
really it's not possible to expand that. So it's 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 wild. Um, but yeah, when we we got there a bit early, we were on the floors and we had some uh, friends up in the upper level, which was all GA. And they wanted to get a good spot. And, you know, like you said, first time in a new venue. So we wanted to get our get our bearings and, uh, you know, just figure it out, so to speak. And walking up to the venue, the line looked pretty intimidating, even, you know, an hour early. But it moved really efficiently, surprisingly. And uh, so that was a, a good point. And, yeah, walking in, I'd say that. You know, it didn't really start filling in until like 20 minutes before seven o'clock, I think, because I think the band came on a few minutes after seven, but it was pretty empty until those 15, 20 minutes before. But by the time the band came on, I'd say the place was 75, 80% full, but lots of room on the floor. It looked like there was plenty of room to move around up in the seats and, uh, it was a pretty enjoyable, enjoyable experience all around. It was again once the band got playing and you see all the bodies start start bouncing. It was it was a really cool scene. One one note though, the venue I will say because we spent the first few songs up uh, up top with the friends just to see the uh, different perspective and uh, the venue they they only have bathrooms on the first. possibly going their first time tonight i lost you there for a second but i believe you said there were there are only bathrooms on the first level so yes you have to anybody like going tonight and down oh hey you guys yeah we can hear you we got gotcha. you that's 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 a huge huge problem for me <laughs> yeah well, luckily I, I will say It's not too inconvenient. Well, we're waiting on Matt coming back in and out. I'm going to let you out of the room really quick while you just uh, sort out the tech side on your end. Um, I'll just say uh, we, we had a comment up here from Joel schooling no bad seats i i got this message from my brother as well uh who's at the shows that um on the whole there was no bad sight line and he sent me videos from the event i i was watching it last night on the web on the uh, webcast and it was just like it looked like anywhere you sat in that venue it was incredible the, the photos were awesome and i mean yeah I don't know. I don't know how many how many levels are there. Are there only two, or is are there like multiple? Because it looks really high up up there in the seats. Yeah, from the looks of it, there's the floor, there's the wraparound, like two hundred level, and then there's the three hundred level um, up top. Matt, we were just discussing: are there three levels to this, including the floor? Or is there is there another like club level in there? There are three levels, so. From my understanding, and I think I'm going to get a better understanding tonight, but there's a top third level, which is all GA. There's the floor, which is all GA. And then it looks like, you know, a 100, 200 type deal that I believe are assigned seats. I'm not positive, but I think that's the layout. Got it. Got it. Got it. So free, free moving for most of the venue, but then yeah, yeah. you've got that lower bowl area that's uh, that's that's all 
assigned. Yeah, and the floors, I'll say, it's there was a lot of room to move around. I mean, it's one of the more spacious floors I've I've been on. <laughs> so that was a nice treat. So Matt, this set your soul free opener. It has caused a lot of conversation online. Um, just just in terms of the the pure like I don't know. It's a lot. It's a lot of song to put out there right away. Um, and it seemed like it it took off pretty quickly. What was the what was the reaction and what was the crowd energy like once that once that got moving? Yeah, I mean, I think it seems like that's been the trend so far. The spring tour is strong, strong first quarters. But uh, yeah. Getting uh, starting off with Set Your Soul Free, um, you know, it's I, I think since its debut at what was that, the Gorge in 2018, it's yeah. has I, I know Brian likes to talk sometimes batting averages, it has as high of a batting average as any song, I think, since the, its debut. Yeah. Um, but it's not my my favorite song, I'm by no means a hater, but when they started playing it, you know, the the crowd started going, but as as it been seeming the last you know year last year since they've come back you know jamming is really the band's safe space and they just immediately after the song proper really just dive right in i'm looking just historically at it so there's been 27 performances of set your soul free 10 of those have ended up on the jam chart that's that's incredibly high you know in terms of like like a high batting average if you will and i'm just looking through like you had the third performance, I believe, all time. Second performance all time. The San Francisco 2018 version opens up that second set at almost 24 minutes. And it's just like that, you that could was- hear them immediately. Whatever the groove was in that song just allowed them to lift off. And it's just it's wild to see. I think as Scott Marks tweeted last night, it was the third longest, third or fourth longest show opening jam they've ever played. Yeah, I, I saw that too. I saw, yeah, third, fourth, fifth. And not only that, I think, you know, this is the third straight performance where the songs reached 20 plus minutes, which yeah. just, again goes to show you when they play the song, they're, they're really there to explore it. And so for them to open up with, with that song really shows you, um, you know, where the song's been since they debuted because I think the first time I saw it was they opened up the, the gorge run in 2018. It was the very first song of the first night, a quick, you know, six, seven minute and now almost four years later opening it again, but having a, just a completely not just take, but purpose for the song. It's pretty, it's pretty incredible. What'd you think about the, the jam? I mean, it, 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 the 23 minutes or something, I listened to it on a walk with my dog this morning. It kind of went by pretty quickly, um, which is, you know, I wasn't like waiting to see where it was going. It felt like, I mean, it feels like Fishman is always like one step ahead of the rest of the band at this point, just because he's playing so fast all the time. But what, did anything stick out to you about the jam itself? Uh, you know, just that they really dropped right into the jam pretty early. I know that, Trey caught on a, a nice riff pretty early on and brought the, I don't know the technical term. I call it the growler out. And, uh, you know, it, it was, it was, I, I found it throughout the show and I'm, you know, my ear hasn't been too close to the ground to really pick out if this is happening all tour, but last night in particular, it sounded like Trey was hopping back and forth between, you know, getting on the effects back to more of the clean melody playing that we heard a lot in MSG. 
and then back into the effects and then back into the clean playing. I feel like a lot of times in past years, you know, he'll stick with one for half the jam and the second half the jam go to the other. And last night was really going back and forth. And I heard that in the, in the set your soul free as well. Yeah. I, it's a really sorry, Brian, good I point. Just, yeah. I would, pages so far this, this tour, I feel like the jams have really taken off once page starts switching, switching is wherever he is on his rig. Like they they sort of could, can get a little bit stuck. I think, I feel like that's what like on sticks them is like getting to, you know, the next, um, the, the next spot, um, which I think is just crazy. I don't even know how many pieces of equipment he has up there, but it feels like it's like 30 of them. It, it grows by the tour. <laughs> yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, I, I find that page, yeah, he as he moves, and if he moves early on, the band moves with him. I, I think you know the note the note that you made there, Matt, about like Trey going back and forth between this kind of clean approach and this more effect heavy approach. I hadn't really thought about it in that sort of way, but I think that you're right in terms of where they've been going this tour. That he seemed to focus heavily on a very clean approach at MSG, where you didn't hear a ton of his synth, his synth pedals. It was really just him. And I think it's best exemplified in the chalk dust tweezer from, from yep. the second night where you didn't really need a lot of effects. It was just the band playing music. And that almost seems to have inspired him, at least from a listening standpoint, that we can get through a segment of improvisation without any sort of addition of, of effects and maybe let page shine, give Mike a little bit more space to breathe, but then we can add something to it. Um, I found it really funny, just like skipping way, way ahead in the tube. He was so lost in his effects that when the band brought it back to the final riff, you know, before they go into the last verse, Trey had to hit like seven different effect pedals just to get his guitar back to like its normal sound. And that, that, that kind of exemplified like how far, how deep into it he was. Um, Matt, I just said, I'm just going to ask about, so unless you want to say anything else about the say your soul free, um, I was doing some very, very intensive research. Um, and the walls of the cave there, like second, second, slot i mean that's a huge surprise i think the last time they played walls of the cave in the first set when it didn't close was uic august 2011 so yeah it's been it's been a long time also i will notice note that in that show there's a down with disease jam that is that's really good and that had to leave it to beaver tease in it so i just i don't think that's obviously not connected at all but i just wanted to mention that but um strange placement for that song and probably took some people by surprise yeah. And, you know, again, that's it feels like that's been the theme for the last nine, ten months of playing is switching up the switching up the set list. I almost said throw a curveball in there. But, um, yeah, you know, it was one of those when when they throw walls of the cave in the two slot, the way they've been playing, you know, that they're probably going to dig deep. Now, I don't know if people were expecting walls of the cave to go type two, but. That's that's what they gave to that's what they gave us. Yeah, I thought this was a gorgeous take on it, and it kind of speaks to what we were all saying with regards to the set your soul free. Is Paige seemed to move to a synth while while they were still in the standard jam segment of Walls of the Cave, and it just inspired Trey to uh, 
move into this very blissful tone and, and just allow the, the, the jam to kind of just like exist in a dreamlike space. And you're two songs into the show at that point in time. You're kind of starting to wonder, like, are we getting a four or five song first set? Like, is it like what is about to happen here? Regardless, what's about to happen, like the way that they're opening this show, basically the first 40 minutes of the overall show is being dedicated to set your soul free. Not the most obscure of openers, but definitely placement wise, Walls of the Cave, not expected in that slot. And both songs just showing off a band that feels like it doesn't feel like they're working hard to play a lot of this music. It feels very enjoyable. It feels very effortless. And it feels like when they find a musical turning point, they just kind of follow it to see where it goes um, before either returning to the song that they're playing or moving into a new song. It's just, it's, it's, it's really enjoyable just to listen to right now. And just to, to touch on that point, you just mentioned Brian coming back into the song they're playing. This is a very, very controversial for them to finish the song. I mean, Trey, like, I think it was like 2018, 2019, Trey would be like, you could tell he was like super happy when they would go back into finish a song after a long jam. Like he, he would like smile because he like pulled it off, you know? And I think that's like something they've been doing. But last night, both of those first two songs had a little bit more of an abrupt, abrupt landing, but people kept referring to them as rip chords. But I always thought that, a ripcord only exists if you're going into a different song, but can you ripcord back into the song that you're playing? I, I heard the same. What do you guys thing. think? I heard the same thing in the audience, RJ. I think, uh, you know, I think I agree with you. I don't know if you can ripcord back, but I, I think just the, the abruptness, especially in the, uh, in the set your soul free, uh, just the, the term ripcord certainly rattled around in most people's yeah. brains. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a little jarring. It is interesting. Like I thought the walls of the cave one worked fairly well. I was listening to it uh, in the moment and I was like, okay, there could have been more of a jam here, but like he found at least the right, I don't know, minor chord that worked with what key they were playing in to like bring it back. I found it really funny listening to set your soul free. Cause there is like a peak that happens and then they're right back into set your soul free. And it's not even like musically unified. It's, it felt in any sort of way, but yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's, it's almost become endearing this sense of like, you look at so many fish set lists from the late nineties and the 2.0 era. And there's so many segues into a new jam. And so a song begins, Downwards Disease is like the perfect example. It's like unfinished every time. They almost don't even need to label it at this point. Tweezers the same way. They like barely will ever return into the tweezer riff. Um, and when they do, it's actually kind of special. But there's this new sentiment of we have to, it's almost like we have to remind the crowd that we started with this song, went on this journey, and then it found our way back home. But I don't know. It's, it's strangely endearing to me, even though I would prefer just the segue at that point in time. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I think it does, I guess after like 23 minutes or 16 minutes, whatever those two jams were, it's a little bit hard to, to nitpick, but you know, if it was a, Totally. If it was like, you know, seven minutes in the middle of a jam, I, I think that's a little bit different, but um, it's definitely, it's definitely causing some, causing some conversation. But um, Matt, what, what was the, I mean, you know, it's always different in the, in the venue, obviously. Um, after those first two songs, I, I think the, the rest of the set to me seemed like fine, you know, there were, 
but it wasn't it's sort of like after those two songs they kind of just could do whatever you know like it, it didn't really matter but how how was the how was what was the feeling about the rest of the set well it's funny yeah the uh you know going back to what brian said after those first two songs I, a lot of people were feeling and you know it's the same feeling before every show i i always say oh we're gonna get a good one tonight you know but uh you know uh but yeah we were thinking oh this could be a five, six, seven song jammed out first set. Wasn't that, you know, my, my notes pretty much stopped after the walls of the cave, but it was enjoyable. Um, I know, you know, the one other real highlight or standout to me at least was the ocelot. Nice, nice little summer breezy jam. But, uh, the only note that I have for that ocelot is that uh, this one had claws. I agree. Um, I, I'm an ocelot stan here. Uh, I will take an ocelot in every summer first set. I, I don't care if it becomes repetitive. Just right. that groove, like as the light is getting a little bit dim. I don't know. There's something about just like the way that that song plods along that just works perfectly in that sort of setting. And I thought this one, like at least in the, in the solo segment, Trace seemed to be seeking – another kind of turning point within the jam. And I couldn't, I listened back recently to the, um, uh, the J fat tour from late okay. September, early October, you know, when it was, when Fishman joined tab on drums and there's a great version of Ocelot from, I believe the Pittsburgh show that plays for like 15 minutes and just like showcases space within that song. If they wanted to explore it. Um, any other big highlights from the first set for you or just kind of from the first, set, first set? No, it's uh, you know, I believe what was right before Ocelot or I guess that was my friend. My friend was a few others. No, I, the only other, uh, yeah. The only other notes that I have were, you know, steam steam had some nice playing by Trey as did the Ocelot. But um, yeah, that was, uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, you know, a, don't want to say a paint by numbers, but it was a standard rest of the set for me. I love a good coil though. Always, always welcome that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a That's nice one of closer the best, there. One of the best closers you could have. Yeah. And the leaves, like the leaves jam seems to be evolving. I don't remember it sounding so much like a, I guess they're still, they're still kind of trying to figure out the, the improv on leaves. Um, but it sounded like, it sounded a little more, like the the jam is evolving. It sounds like a little bit more of a jam than than some of the other versions. I agree. So looking at set two, um, they come out, and we've now gotten to the point where we have to kind of expect that when they start playing the chords to Axela, that it's going to be part two. Which I was thinking about this morning. Like, at what point does part one become the bust out? Right, right, right. You know, I was thinking like my my second fish show, they opened with Axela back in 2003. And I just have this very distinct memory of being such a noob and thinking to myself, is this one or is this two? And not knowing. And I look back on that and I laugh because, you know, if that had been played, if Axela 2 had been played at that point, it would have been a huge deal. When it got busted out last year at Shoreline, it was a massive moment. And it just seems like 
that's become the norm now. And, and what a weird like flip to a song that just everyone thought was on the shelf, forgotten, not going to be played again. We've gotten since then a 21 minute version, a 10 minute version. And then here, this didn't really go off into crazy territory, but we're at least, you know, seven, eight minutes. There's a bunch of joking around between Fishman and Trey. Um, this segment here, the Axla two 2001 and light was some of my favorite parts of the overall show. What, what was the opening of the second set like for you? Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think this was since that shoreline bust out for part two, which we were luckily at, um, I think this is the fourth or gotta be at least the fourth version I've seen. So like you said, Brian, I, I expect it now. And, uh, <laughs> when they, when he opens with the summers, I go, yep. Part two. Uh, <laughs> But it's it's great. It kind of now that they're exploring that outro jam to it, it kind of keeps you on your toes when they go into it. It's not so much, uh, you know, when you, they go to Axilla Part One. You know, you know, you're going to get a three minute shot of adrenaline. Um, but now, you know, this it could be more of a MSG 10, 11 minute jammed out version, or the, dare I say, a Vegas 21 minute whatever that timing was, or even last night was, you know, seven, seven and a half, eight minutes, but that outro jam just kind of keeps you on your toes now. So that's, that's a fun new element to, uh, to the set, I think. And then, you know, 2001 is always a, always a dance party. And I kind of like what Trey was doing in that first jam. Yeah, it's, I was just looking really quickly just to confirm something I've been thinking about. Axela one was played in Mexico, but it contained the Axela part two ending, which was just like another like bizarre turn of events here that like, we're, we're going to play both back to back, but we're going to add the two ending. Cause like, why wouldn't we add a jam onto all these songs? The, the jam is an amazing part of this, but yeah, yeah the, the, the 2001 I, I'm thinking back, I think it was Eugene last year that there was just a really standout version late in the second set. And it seems now 2001 is one of those songs that like when they play it in, in recent years always felt kind of like we're having a fun dance, heavy second set, not too much exploration, just like fun grooves. And they're going to throw 2001 out as like the fourth or fifth song of the set to have it be the second song of a second set where like it stretches to about 12 minutes really kind of showcases that they're, at least for right now, they've rediscovered a lot of creativity with it. RJ, what did you think of this? Yeah, I mean, this set, I think that both these sets sort of have these, like, an arc to them where it, like, starts off, like, the the, the kind of the end of the set sort of, like, is a soft landing. But the beginning, the first, like, 30, 40 minutes of the set is is really incredible. Um, I... I, someone on on Twitter was just saying like, did you, does it seem like Trey is kind of repeating, repeating or revisiting a bunch of the kind of uh, you know themes or riffs or whatever that that have been happening this tour? I've been noticing that in the in some of the jams from last night, set your soul free and light. Um, but it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't bother me. I think it's like it it all works. But I don't know if you guys felt that, but I feel like there's some thematic similarities in terms of his his playing like almost like he's playing something that you recognize but can't identify um but it does seem like there's like a lot of thematic uh consistency with his playing 
I definitely get that. And it kind of reminds me of like, you know, in 99, they'd be playing a jam and then Trey would hit the sirens and the sirens would kind of like dictate the jam is moving into a new space. And then he would potentially move over to the second keyboard and he would, you know, play a little bit of music over there. It kind of seems like they're in a thematic space right now. And there are like callbacks and I guess the, it seems to me to be more interesting than when like he was so interested in playing the, um, the San Jose. Is that what it is that, that riff, like, you know, he, he would always like throw that sort of thing in. Like, it feels like the, the thematic returning points are new ideas, but like rooted in the same place. And that kind of his, his musical headspace keeps returning there, but like, it's all new ideas that he's pushing out um, rather than like teasing another song or rather than throwing, like let's throw sirens on and let's move over to the keyboard. Cause like, that's where he feels like playing right now. There's a lot that seems to be focused on the guitar playing. I don't know if you you've heard any of this, Matt. Yeah, I ha- I think that kind of goes back into kind of what I was saying earlier in the cast was, you know, instead of when, uh, you know, if Trey starts a jam focusing more on the melody and more of the clean approach, and then you hear the the effects come on, and um, rather than stay in, in that area and explore, you know, he goes back and goes, ah, well, maybe let's go back and, and call on that riff I was and, and see where else we can take this. Or even kind of what RJ was saying, I've been hearing, I've been hearing since MSG, certain certain clean licks especially the spring tour that sound familiar but they sound new to me and i just i can't put my finger on it and uh it's it, it's just it, it's it's new it's a bit a big shift in my mind at least from what they were doing in the fall um which was just really that that heavy uh approach that that emphasis on the effects so uh it's it's been really interesting this tour switching it up like that. It's almost like he's trying to incorporate the effects into his overall plane rather than have the effects dominate, which was what what I agree we heard throughout the fall. And I loved it, but like every single jam moved in one direction in the fall in a very cool way, but also in a way that like not necessarily got predictable, but like it was clear he was obsessed with this right. new sound that we were all kind of obsessed with too. Yeah, it was almost a crutch, not not a not a bad crutch at all. I don't yeah. mean that in a negative sense, but you know, it's definitely something that he could rely on, and he knew that he could do it well, which we heard throughout that entire thirteen show run. I have a habit of re-listening to the Fall '97 tour pretty much every year, like in order, just because it's so good. It's like some of the best fish you'll ever hear. And by like mid-December, I find myself being like, "Okay, here's another funk jam," and it's the same sort of way of like they were obsessed with that sound. Let's keep going every jam in that direction. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, give me, give me more funk, give me more of the synth pedal. But like the way he's incorporating has been really cool. I thought the light offered a really cool way to incorporate it light being played here on its 13th anniversary of its debut. Um, I still remember I was at the Fenway show when it debuted. It was one of, I think three or four songs debuted that night. Uh, Ocelot and time turns elastic were also debuted that night, maybe one other, but I remember it came out of a tweezer jam and it sounded like a jam right out the gates 
but it was only like five minutes and then it ended on them like singing and the light is growing brighter now. And like in like a chorus, there was no ending jam to it. And within two weeks, it was a 10 minute noise jam at Bonnaroo and the rest is history. I mean, this is one of the most reliable songs over the last 13 years. And this year thus far, the MSG version and this version have been absolute standouts. What, what, what were you guys thoughts on, on this, this performance here? This was, I think probably my highlight of the overall show. Same here. This was certainly the the highlight. I've already listened to it twice today and probably listen to it again before the show. Um, <laughs> Again, same same thing I was saying earlier, and so somebody correct me, but if my memory serves me, again, just the Trey going back between finding a nice riff that he wants to just take the rest of the band on, and then just moving into into the pedals. I uh, what did what did you guys think? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the, it, there were there was like a lot of cycling through some different ideas, which is interesting because I think that it the sound changed several times, you know, um, which kind of kept the kept the momentum going. I thought it was great. I've only listened back to it what, once. I need to I need to listen again. Um, I'll just say that the mountains in the mist landing is just a man. You can't really ask for anything better than that. Uh, that that is nice, and yeah, I, I, it's. A nice mountains in the mist is is always welcome. I don't know if you all heard. It sounded like Mike was really trying to go to passing through there, and Trey either didn't hear or just sounded like he wasn't having any of it. I was laughing at that because, like, you know, we all we talked about it. We don't need to rehash it, but like the set your soul free reentry was a bit rough. But it was all like Trey being like, we're, we're going back and to set your soul free, whether you like it or not. You and the audience, you on stage, like this is the direction that we're moving in in this song. And you kind of got the sense that Mike got that idea. And it, and it worked. Like the chords were like upbeat. They could have very easily gone into passing through. And Trey was just like, nope, I'm going to play a minor chord right now. We're going to keep vamping for about 30 seconds. And then, oh, I want to play Mountains in the Mist. That's where we're going right now. And I feel like fish is at like a no analysis point in their career where they just kind of like roll with it and they're not going to get off stage and yell at each other about decisions. But that definitely would be a moment if I was Mike of like, well, what the hell I want to play a song. Why can't we play the song I want to play? <laughs> I mean, they are like with the, you know, the quadraphonic toppling um, fiasco, like they are kind of, and, and also just the, the fishman stuff. I mean, it's just, beyond ridiculous in my in my opinion like it's like it's almost like it's like a free-for-all in terms of whatever you want to do in the background while things are happening you can do so like maybe that's part of what mike was doing he's like i'm just gonna like i mean he but it would have been a great segue if they had gone in that direction but also like with you know them just yelling random things and fishman pressing buttons and you know it's like i feel like everyone can just do what they want so maybe that's part of it but but it did seem like mike was was ready to was ready to go. Yeah. Speaking of that, did you all, I didn't catch it, but were there any leave it to beaver teases, the new spring tour tease last night? During meet as meet. Mike and yep. fish faced uh, each other and we're doing right. kind of the start stop jamming. Every what? time they stopped fishman right. had the, uh, what is the phrase? This is going to be awfully hard on the beaver, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm afraid. I'm afraid, which <laughs> on Sunday night, I had the Celtics heat game on on my computer and I had the fish show on 
and my wife and I were watching and it was like the last two minutes of the basketball game. So I turned the volume on. Cause like, it was just, it was a hyper intense basketball game and Fishman around 20 minutes in the tweezers starts hitting the beaver sampler. And my wife was like, what, what is all this noise right now? Why are they yelling at us? Like who is talking to us? And I was like, Oh, no, that's Fishman. She's like, oh, okay. Found it really funny. <laughs> and, uh, but there was just, there was so much happening in that moment, but it's, it's, you you would you thought the yeah and like whatever else came out last year the sampler was like the peak of fishman's technological humor and then they've just come back and surprised us all over again well i mean whatever 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 happened the passing through has only been played a handful of times i think maybe four or five times since since it debuted in 2018 and that would have been like that's a cool song i think it would have worked but instead Instead, we got a great, great landing place with Mountains in the Mist. Yeah, no, that's a really good point, RJ. I think it might, I don't know if it's the last time it was played or maybe two performances ago, but I know last time I saw it was its shoreline this past summer. And after a great city's jam, they just landed. Yeah. Um, it didn't even sound deliberate. It sounded like they just were jamming and they go, oh, we're playing Passing Through. And it, it worked perfectly. Um, Sorry, go ahead, Brian. I was just going to say that that kind of was the the feel I had at that point in the yeah. light was we're just we're moving right into this song. Exactly. That, um, it provides us better content when it happens this way rather than like this great segue that we're just like, oh, beautiful butter butter seg, you know. Um, Before we continue, Brian, can I just say one thing? Because my yeah. I just got a message from from my friend Sam, who was complimenting Matt's hat, um, and I just want to say, Matt, that. The reason you're here, I was actually on a train with my friend Sam on the way to the MSG shows, and I walked by, and you were like, "Hey!" And then we talked, and I was like, "You should come on for a quick hit." And so we brought it full circle, and I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, again, I really appreciate. It. As I like to say, a uh, longtime listener, first time caller. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally, it's totally applicable in this in this situation. Um, so. So Sam, that that was for you. Um, so the meat thing. So the thing is, what do you guys think about this? Like all the nonsense and the effects and the talking. And I mean, like, are there are there songs that it's appropriate for and songs that it aren't that it is not, or is it just like do whatever you want? You know, I just as long as they stay away from the the yes during a a, a slave peak, I'm good. God, That's I fair. forgot that was the original controversy of last summer's tour was they were doing the slave peak. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. Like, I don't know what side I landed on this. I'm sure it was the contrarian side last summer, but um slave and hood feel as like close to a spiritual experience that you're gonna get, especially when placed in this like very amplified late second set slot where the whole point of the song feels to be like let's reflect on this experience we just had together let's share in it let's let's relish in it and then when you get a yeah it just kind of snaps you out of that moment of like zen um but at the same time you know this is stuff that we've talked about on undermine like the humorous side of fish is so much it, it was like you know what, what we were talking about the, at the start of this matt like the the trampolines like that aspect of the band that like kind of cringe humor almost ends up being a part of that spiritual journey of it so 
I kind of fall somewhere in the middle of like, I don't necessarily want to hear a yeah in those moments, but I also, you without Fishman you doing it. that. Yeah, yeah, you get it. What do you think, RJ? Um, is well, voicing his approval? <laughs> it's a good question. Is he is he voicing his approval? I mean, well, well there's also a big difference between what you want and, and what's what you get. So, you know, sure. so I wouldn't worry too much about it. You know, like I, I do worry about it sometimes, but I shouldn't because nothing nothing I do or say is going to change anything. So, no, but I do think it's um, Jonathan said. Um, and Jonathan, you should just be here with us. I mean, thank you for all your commentary, but just join us because because we'd like to see you. Um, it is kind of like the new secret language, and and jokes will continue to happen. I think I guess like the meet is a good that's a good time for that. Um, and yeah, no, I'm all for the effects. I I want I want that to be clear again. It's just yeah. during the, the yeah. part of slave. I think slave and hood are off limits, like Brian said. Reba Jam, you know, like I'm not, just. I'm just stuck on the idea now of Fishman being like, wow, whatever we're playing is great and hitting the yeah effect. That's like, that's how I'm going to envision this going forward. I think that that's a great way to position it. And uh, anytime I hear him be like, oh, Fishman must be happy right now. Um, <laughs> so what happened, Matt, what happened at the end? Because I, I, I was listening back. I didn't watch it, but do you think that they like realized that they had more time left for the curfew? And that's why like the, the encore was super long or did it seem like the, the slave cavern, did it seem early to people there where people like, Oh shit, it's over already. Like what was the, how did that happen? Yeah. I don't know. I don't want to say that it was, you know, mismanaged time. You know, they're, they're the professionals, professionals, they likely have a sense of, you know, curfew and all that. But when a, when a set ends with what could you, you could argue with three, back-to-back-to-back set closers, it does make you wonder. But, you know, especially when they go into Slave, I certainly thought that, uh, you know, that that was it. And then once they they ended, and by the way, great version, really nice version, I thought. Um, Then you see Trey talking, and they got one more for you, and we kind of figured it was Cavern. But it was, uh, yeah, I I don't don't know. It, It seemed... It's tough. I don't want to say clunky. It was great, but like you said, when they uh, when they end with you know three arguable set closers, you do wonder what was what was going on. If anything, maybe nothing. Maybe that was the plan. Yeah, it definitely. Do you guys think it gave uh, there? There's this rumor going around. I don't know if it's a rumor. There's just like a talking point within the fish community right now. We're halfway through this spring tour. They play four more shows with one more here in Charleston, three in Deer Creek. There's a real easy path for the band right now to play essentially a no repeats tour in the same vein that they played fall 2019. And while on the one end, I don't necessarily... I don't know if that's like necessarily a goal that they still have. Like they did it at the Baker's dozen. They do it on fall 2019. They are starting to like kind of put themselves in position to be able to do it by saying, we know that we can come out and we can jam as much as we want. We know we can play songs like walls of the cave is the second song in the show and stretch that out. And even throwing like Golgi slave cavern all in a row, like those songs could theoretically end three different second sets in a row, but they're kind of putting themselves in a position where if they want to do this, no repeats thing, 
they're making it more challenging on themselves while also playing really strong improvisational music. So that could be the direction they're going. I don't know. Did, did this give like more credence to this discussion point or less in your guys' opinion? Yeah. I mean, the, the more shows where they had no repeats, the, the more it builds. Right. And I mean, yeah. you, I was looking at like the top 50 songs not played in the past four shows. Um, there, there's a lot, you know, you could definitely see there being a, uh, or no repeat show for the next four or no, no for the next four. I think the the first repeat will be either life beyond the dream or I've never needed to like this before. Cause I don't think they can go that long without playing those songs. That's my, <laughs> that's my personal opinion, but it would be cool. I mean, if you look at the the stats, like, you know, today, just today, like, you know, 20, 25 songs. I mean, there's still hundreds, but I don't think it's a, I don't think they set out with it as a goal personally. I'm all for the repeats. Let's get Tweezer tonight. Yeah, but I did I, I did see a funny comment on Fish.net today that said, uh, I think it was a little bit of a trolling comment, but they said last night is, or they played a show like last night so that they don't set themselves up for a tour finale as a Charleston 3. <laughs> which we were at. Had a great time. That's but I tough. think you, you all know what uh, yeah he was getting at. But I didn't really think of it the way you you uh, mentioned it, Brian, as you know taking three potential set closers off the board. But then again, with the way they've been playing, who's who's to say what's a set closer? We've seen yeah. ghost, we've seen Ghost end the first set twice in the last six seven months. And that's the that's the thing that's so fascinating about this is like I I remember. You know, there was a point in um, the fall where there were three successive Slave to the Traffic Lights played in the first oh, yeah. set. Loved it. That's a song that just like threw off the vibe, you know, in a, in a good way. Like it changes the complete vibe of the show. So, yeah, I mean, there anything can be a set closer at this point in time. Anything can be a, a show opener. Um, our, our, our friend, our co-host, our, our brother here, Jonathan Hart, says, I am hydrogen opener, which is the opener that would Ooh. officially allow him to lose his mind in the best way possible. And I would be I'd be cheering for that. It is it is wild to think what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, we'll see. I think tonight's the night that we will know in a lot of cases. Are they really going for this? Because this is the fifth show is. Is there something from night one of the tour, night two of the tour that's going to return? Could a song like Tweezer go on like a two-show rotation because they're just feeling like jamming that out? But again, anything could be jammed out right now. Yeah. I mean, you had last fall, you had the extended jam in Fluffhead, right? Brian, you were at that show in Chula Vista. Like there's, you know, they haven't played Simple. They haven't played um, You Enjoy Myself. They haven't played... I mean, I think Divided Sky seems like a an, an obvious pick for the first set just because of the the time of the show and the, the setting seems good for that. Um, yeah. But, David you Bowie. know, split up in a melt, David, David Bowie. Bowie, Down With Disease. I mean, there's there's so many. And um, I think that, you know, based on our based on our undermine season about the about the Bigger's Dozen, I'm pretty sure there'll be a jammed out lawn boy in one of these shows <laughs> that will surpass the Bigger's Dozen. Um, I don't Deer know. Deer Creek it would be Lawn is is deserving of a lawn boy. Exactly. Band. Exactly. Oh man, it's going to be fun. But what about those? There was a 20, 20 minutes of music in the encore, right? I mean, that's like that's also just sort of a surprise. Um, well, can I note one? Can I note two really quick things before we jump to the encore? 
one to your point of like what's on the table. They've soundchecked Knucklebone Broth Avenue in multiple shows in a row, including three times last three night. Times last night, yep. That is a song that has a twenty-minute set to opening groove written all over it. I would love to hear that played again. It's just like that is that would get in your head. Also, they noted on Fishnet, Golgi Apparatus contained the lyric, I saw you with a barcode in your hand, which to me, it's hilarious. And it feels like Fish being like, yeah, we're moving ahead with the times. They're all digital tickets, but God damn it. We want you to have tickets. Like we want you to be able to hold up your ticket stub. It's, it feels very get off my lawnish. I, I have faith they're coming back in 2023. I have faith. <sighs> I hope so. I, I mean, they're now, they're now selling commemorative PTBMs on dry goods for like 10 bucks. That's like, come on, let's, let's just, let's get them. I'm literally looking at a cork board right now. Every time I record that has every ticket stub I've ever seen. Like the idea that I'm going to go to a bunch of fish shows this summer and not add them to this. Hey, I don't know if you guys have been Alpine. There's no, there's no real, if you don't add that ticket to your wallet nowadays, the digital wallet, there's no real phone connection. It could get hairy out there trying to look your ticket. That's a very good point. It's, It's in the middle of the woods. Um, well, yeah, let's talk. RJ, what were your thoughts about that encore that features the first ever 46 days in the encore slot and a, a very, very heavily jammed out tube? Yeah. I mean, they're, you know, it does seem like if they're, if they're going for no repeats, they're not really worried about it. Cause you know, those are two like first set staples that, you know, I mean, they could have easily just like done a Rocky top encore or something or, you know, something like simple and they, they didn't. Um, so I think they're having a lot of fun. And I think the, I think the early curfews are actually like, I think they, I think they're used to playing until, you know, 11, 1130. And it just like, I think they just Trey really just, they, I think they all just want to keep playing for as long as possible, which is really awesome. Yeah. I'm all for the jammed out on course. I think, uh, Last night was number 77, and I think that was only the second what could be qualified as a jammed-out encore. That and the San Francisco Carini from last year. And, again, I'm all for it. Like Brian mentioned earlier, you know, the 46 days, first time being in the encore slot. Again, I think I saw Jonathan comment, set openers, closers, labels are meaningless, and we saw that again last night. And – uh so that was fun to see with the 46 days and then the tube it's Trey again, what Brian mentioned earlier, just he was buried in his effects, which was fun. I just love like the, the way the camera hit Trey at that moment, like he, his leg went like six different places at once being like, I got to get back to like my normal guitar sound. He was so lost, but yeah, it was wild. You know, when they came out on stage, it was what, like ten oh five, ten ten Eastern, something like that. It was pretty early. It was eight o'clock my time, and that's usually when the band comes out on stage for a second set. And you know, like on the East Coast, if they play MSG, they come out around ten o'clock for the second set. And when they open with forty six days, like it kind of felt like they're just opening the second set here. And when they fell into the jam, like I was just watching on the video, like some people we're dancing, like getting down, like it's a whole new set. And other people were like standing around, like what the hell is going on? This is just supposed to be, you know, contact 
into Rocky Top or whatever, you know, just kind of like, all right, we got one more dose of fish and then we're going home. But I thought these were two really hyper connected jams. And I felt like uh, the band was really showcasing like, yeah, to your point, they want to just keep playing and they're feeling good on this tour at this point in time, which is take everything else away. That's what we're looking for. That's it. And Matt, you get to go, you get to go back. So you're going to night two tonight. Yeah, this will be last night and tonight are the only shows I'm hitting this spring leg, but I'll be at every stop of the way, starting with night one of the man, ending with night two of Merriweather, and then I'll pick things back up at Dick's. So I hope to see you two and a few others listening on the way. Absolutely, man. Let's uh, let's stay connected and we'll have you back on as we move into the summer tour to get your thoughts as as the band's evolving. And those East Coast shows, if they're playing like this in Alabama and South Carolina, kind of out-of-market shows, like I, I have no idea what to expect when they get to Meriwether and The Man and Jones Beach and all these like famous venues that they've played in the past. Yeah, being from Baltimore, Meriwether is our hometown venue, so excited to see what what uh, iteration of the band uh, is playing music at the end of July. Only a time I ever saw them there was 2015, and it was an absolute that first night was an absolute party and throwdown and uh yeah i'm uh i'm jealous of everyone who's going to be at those shows there should be a ton of fun well thanks for having yeah, me guys this was a blast yeah have fun matt awesome. thanks for coming on thanks all right guys we'll see, see you soon. soon bye awesome so four shows in you feel good about where fish is at or do you have questions um no no qu- <laughs> i don't really have any questions <laughs> I, it's taken me a while to get into this tour. I don't know. I don't know why. Sometimes, sometimes when the, when the tours start, I'm like, I get it right away. Um, and then some tours, it just takes me a while to kind of like get where they're going. And I I feel like I'm still, still trying to figure it out. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but. It does. It sneaks up on you. It's weird. Like you get so used to this world of like listening to old shows and looking ahead at the tour. And then you're like, oh my God, the tour starts next week. We've got to like start understanding where the band's at at this point in time. And I don't think they're helping us by playing so many jams and so many songs and placements that we don't anticipate. It's, there's just a lot to consume and try to understand about the band right now, but it's all good and it's all really exciting. Yeah. I think we should keep doing this. I like it. I'm into it. So we'll be back here tomorrow. Uh, same time, 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, we have a excellent guest lined up to talk with us about night two at Charleston. And then we'll be continuing to do this throughout the weekend. We've got Deer Creek, which you talk about like not being prepared for tour, not being prepared for where the band is at right now. They're playing three nights at Deer Creek this weekend. Like that is that is as legendary of a venue as the band could be playing at. I can't wait. It's going to be nuts, man. It's going to be nuts. I hope everyone joins us. I hope everyone joins us. I hope everyone has a wonderful rest of their Wednesday here. Um, we will see you tomorrow, Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern to break down that show. Um, quick reminder to everyone out there, please check out sunsetlakecbd.com. Use coupon code HFPOD for 20% off all products, as well as please visit cashertrade.org, 
the only secondary ticketing marketplace where fans buy, sell, and trade tickets at face value. You can DM each other before, during, and after transactions, rate and review each other when a transaction is complete. There's no added fees to sell your tickets. All sales are fully protected by Cash or Trade's trader protection policy, which guarantees your money back should anything go wrong. And you can avoid purchase fees with a gold membership subscription. Go to cashortrade.org to learn more. With that, I will break from listening and discussing fish for at least 24 hours. I hope you do the same, RJ, although we do have a fish show to listen to tonight. But we will be back tomorrow to break this all down. Yep. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. Have a good one out there, everyone. Stay safe and enjoy the show tonight. That's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you'd cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart. Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Oh.